Hey there, I'm Ezra Cooperstein, president of Rooster Teeth. Welcome to The Bungalow. This is a podcast about the business of Rooster Teeth. We know that you guys are hungry to learn about the company, how we think and make decisions, and that is what this show is about. We've also been impressed with your questions at the Ask the CEO panel at RTX. So this is gonna go ahead and build on that. I got the CEO here with me actually right now, Matt Hullum. Was I the one asking the questions? No, I was doing the answers. You were doing the answers? It was good. Hopefully you guys can learn uh, from this and maybe even apply some of the information on your own work, business, life. I love listening to other entrepreneurs and business leaders talk about their experiences. I listen to many of their podcasts. It's helped me tremendously in my own career. So I hope we can drop some nuggets along the way for you guys to use. Yeah, and one of my things about the, my favorite things about the Ask the CEO panel is uh, if you've never been to it, it's a great forum uh, to get feedback from the community, from the audience who pays the most attention to Rooster Teeth and has a lot of great ideas. And uh, that's something I'm looking forward to coming out of this as well. I'm really excited about reading people's comments and getting input on what we talk about here and ideas for, for future episodes. Awesome. Well, I also hope that we can demystify decisions that you guys often ask about very loudly sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I really want to peel back the curtain here and provide a bit more of the why behind the decisions we make. And hopefully with this deeper understanding of Rooster Teeth, many of you guys can go out and broaden the communication outwards and create harmony. Harmony. Harmony across the entire community. So we're going to try to share as much as we can. Yeah. Um, But you you guys got to understand that we're... Uh, we're not going to share stuff. It's confidential, trade secrets, embarrassing stories about Matt Hullum. No, just and, I'm going to embarrass myself. Clearly, I'm joined the Glee Club five minutes into this thing. <laughs> so we're get, I, I will. I will be on Always Open eventually, and we can share all those stories. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we're gonna, but we're, we're gonna try to be as as forward as possible and share as much as possible. We're gonna get into the weeds here, so buckle up. So a little bit more about the show. Yeah. So this is a 15 year old company incredible history. So we're undoubtedly going to talk a lot about the history, but we're also going to talk about the present, a lot about what what's going on today in the world of Rooster Tooth and, and where we're, we're going. Now, each episode, we're going to try to focus on a single business topic that affects Rooster Teeth. And this will help us really focus in on the conversation and really allow us to dig into the subject. And um, we're mostly going to talk about how this relates to Rooster Teeth, but we'll, we'll undoubtedly talk about the industry more broadly. Well, we got to play into what the industry is doing overall in many cases. And I know we're going to dive into that with each subject. And one of the things that's, you know, interesting is like rooster teeth, I think for a lot of our community um, feels like we're, we're kind of on an Island in the media landscape. Uh, But as we've gone on over the years, uh, the world has gotten a lot smaller, you know, the media world in particular. And uh, it is a changing um, uh, landscape on a, on a almost daily basis. So I'm, I'm excited to, to get into the weeds on some of that. And then finally about the, each episode, we're going to solicit questions and we'll use these to help gauge what direction to take the show. And we're also going to use many of your questions directly in this conversation. We'll ma- be sure to, to credit you guys. And then also we're going to have some special guests each week. And then finally, I just wanted to touch on the name of the show, the, yeah. bung- the bungalow. Which Fun I know, name. I know, I kind of sprung on you, but um, as many of you guys know, that's the name of the building that the business team at Rooster Teeth sits, and we're actually coming to you from the bungalow. Um, Live from the bungalow. <laughs> that that was awesome. Can we hear that in uh, again? Sure. But uh, but a little snappier. Live from the bungalow, featuring Ezra Cooperstein and Matt Holum. It's 
the bungalow. Yay! Our COO sits in here. Our legal account finance, accounting and finance teams and HR teams sit in here. And in, in fact, in this executive conference room that we are recording from right here, many of the most important decisions inside of Rooster Teeth get made. So I thought it was a fitting name. Let's be honest, though. This is a triple wide trailer. The bungalow. That's yeah, true. <laughs> um, it's funny when I when I first came out here, I was like, I looked at it and I was like, oh great, so I'm gonna die in a tornado. Yeah, pretty much. When there's a, a storm in Austin, you, you you do have to batten down the hatches around here. It's been a while since we lost power. It has been a while. Yeah. We have lost power several times. We're in, in a spot in in East Austin where uh, it seems like the power lines just kind of end like there's no redundancy uh but uh, things have been smooth lately but i, I get besides it being a, a triple wide I, I guess they do yeah. call it the bungalow because it's a movie lot and historically that's been like what you call like the the outlet buildings of that's, on a movie studio lot. right in the old days of the uh, you know movie studios like warner brothers they had their actual lot and then they would actually buy homes for their stars and the homes typically lived in or homes were typically uh bungalow style uh architecture and so then as the studios expanded, a lot of times they would actually incorporate those bungalows onto the lot itself. And, of course, studios don't buy homes for stars anymore. That we know about, although I'm sure it happens from time to time. But, uh, yeah, the bungalow uh, tradition within the movie world, the entertainment world, is um, kind of a, a long through line that, that extends from the, the 20s to now. So it's it's fun that we have this space to work in. And I think it also helps us feel a little bit more laid back when we're making our heady business decisions. Yeah. What I what I love about the bungalow is that it, it's an extremely rooster teeth feel. It is. It's exactly what you need and nothing more. It, it feels like a company that evolved from a spare bedroom. To be honest, like it's kind of like a, the, what my dad would would say to me. <laughs> like, this is exactly what you need and nothing more. Now do your homework. But in, in all seriousness, though, what I do love about it, and you know, like I came from very pristine yeah. offices with a lot of glass and like nice furniture. What what I will say I love is it what it shows is that we put all of our money into making content, not into nice offices. That's the old Hollywood way of doing things. And I, I think that like, the, you know, I like to have workable, suitable office space, but I also think it's like, it's indicative of the attitude of the business. 100%. I mean, every dollar on screen has always been kind of a mantra that we've tried to live by. So anyway, oh, I'm glad we talked about the name. So welcome all to The Bungalow, a show about the business of Rooster Teeth. Today we're going to talk about distribution and our special guest, Evan Bregman, who runs our programming. Uh, but I thought, you know, it's starting with distribution, it's, it's, it's a very much a top of mind subject at Rooster Teeth um, and for our audience. And so I thought that you'd be a fitting first guest and this would be a fitting subject. Ev, do you want to start by maybe diving into, you know, you run programming here and you've recently taken over running our first uh, service, which is our subscription service. But do you want to maybe just introduce yourself and give it a little background? Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, for the sake of this type of podcast, it would also be interesting to hear a little bit about your career path yeah. and uh, your rise to this role. Oh. <laughs> to, the, to the great heights of the bungalow. Um, it, it, definitely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for inviting me via Twitter to be on the show as well. That's um, a nice thing. When you literally did not know about this until <laughs> Wednesday when Ezra tweeted about it. Um, yeah. Funding secured. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so my career path, I'm a, I'm a Chicago native, go Cubs. Uh, I started my career at NBC. Uh, I worked for uh, the guy uh, running the network at the time. His name is Ben Silverman. Um, and I uh, got a good top-down view of old media. Then we left and started a company called Electus, uh, where I became our uh, head of uh, production and creative for digital. I've always been passionate about digital. It's always what I wanted to do. I went to school for it, uh, coincidentally. Uh, not coincidentally, I guess. Um, and uh, at the time, I was the only person who knew what YouTube was. Mm. So as things were beginning to become more digital, it just kind of made sense that someone who was already making stuff for YouTube uh, would be the person helping to craft pitches for uh, what at that time was YouTube writing pretty big checks to traditional Hollywood people uh, to start channels. So the original like YouTube originals program is that what they called it what it was what like they the, call it? Funded, the channels. Yeah, funded, funded channels funded channels initiative um so we, aka free money for people from hollywood that's exactly yeah. right um so i ended up we, we pitched a lot of different channels to them and i ended up overseeing three of them um and got a, a great deal of funding that essentially was told like you get youtube here's what we're taking uh, off the top for us but like go off and, and try to build something here try to build shows that are big enough that we can hopefully sell elsewhere um, and get these channels off the ground um, and that was really my first exposure to running a business on youtube not just making fun videos with my friends um, we also worked really closely with College Humor, uh, which is uh, still a part of Electus to this day. And so I worked really closely with them, developing stuff for television, uh, as well as uh, just integrating them more closely uh, with us. Left there, uh, worked for a brief period at a small production company called Portal A that's best known for making the big YouTube Rewind video every year. Um, and then moved to Austin. because great, great move. Great move. Yeah. Great move. I'm thrilled to be here. Cool. And how long have you been at Rooster Teeth for? Uh, almost two and a half years now. Wow. Yeah. Man, time flies. No kidding. I've had two kids in the process. Wow. Yeah. That's well, crazy. I've had three. So. <laughs> <laughs> you two at once. It doesn't count. <laughs> Let's jump into it. We're talking about distribution today, and I thought a good place to start would just be, Matt, for you to talk about the where Rooster Teeth started from a distribution perspective. And, and even maybe, I, I think before that, let's just uh, set the table what distribution means. Because I think that even I threw this out on Twitter and Reddit, and like people thought distribution me meant a lot of different things. But mm. internally, we use that term. Really talk about, I think, first and foremost, about content distribution, where things go. And, and and why and when. But Ev, do you want to like maybe give us a little bit more of your definition as the programmer? Totally. Uh, distribution to us really uh, hinges on uh, what we call a, a windowing strategy. At the highest level, a windowing strategy for content is kind of the art and science of you create a piece of content and you want to put it on the right platforms at the right time in order to maximize uh, your exposure and maximize the value of that particular platform before you then move on to another one that maybe uh, serves a different purpose. Uh, and ideally, you move content through many, many windows. Uh, so, you know, television uh, traditionally 
starts with a really broad audience. You want to amass uh, as many eyeballs as possible because the advertising that comes with that is super, super valuable. And then slowly but surely, uh, you know, your big TV show goes to smaller and smaller uh, distribution platforms, ending with uh, the least amount of access to that content. So it's off television at this point. It's not in syndication. And it goes out on DVD, right? It's something that you, uh, as a user, you've got to pay for it. And then you get a physical disc and, uh, you know, you can you can put it into your uh, DVD player, Blu-ray player, whatever it is, uh, and, and actually watch it. We think of windowing the exact opposite way. And it's a way that uh, a lot of traditional folks are beginning to move their businesses toward, uh, where our strength really comes from being able to create content for a relatively small group of people uh, who are willing to support us on a recurring basis through our first membership program. Um, and then we broaden it from there for those programs that do make sense. And the reason for that is simple. On the internet, the broadest distribution platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, are the places where you will make the least money as a creator. Uh, unlike television, where by amassing that gigantic audience, you make the most money. Uh, and so as a result, we, we've got to turn the model completely on its head. And so it starts with our subscription program, uh, and then we, we tend to broaden it out from there, free to watch on our subscription program, and then bring it to other platforms. Well, that's a good sort of opening. Now let's throw it backwards. So Matt, yeah. like, you make, like t let's talk about the very beginning. Like The first thing you guys really make is, as Rooster Teeth is red versus blue. What is the distribution for it? In the old times, <laughs> when the earth was still new. Um, yeah, it's, you know, whenever we start talking about early Rooster Teeth distribution in particular, Bernie always makes fun of me because I'm like, it was before YouTube and before Facebook and before Fire and the Wheel. And it just <laughs> sounds, you know, it sounds silly, but really you have to think back to 15 years ago, it was a completely different world. There was not online distribution. And I'm going to back up even further just to tell you how Bernie and I first thought about online distribution and kind of where it originated for us, like the excitement of it, was when we were in college together, we were both making TV shows at our college TV station, and it had a, we're at University of Texas, and it had a broadcast TV antenna that well, we had helped put up. It was on the top of the, of the UT Tower. And so you could make shows at your college TV station and broadcast them to the college and some of Austin. And uh, I also had a local cable channel. And it was very exciting because you could make content and take it directly to people who would see it. And you'd occasionally get, like, we'd get stopped in the street or something, you know, around college. And so like, oh, I saw your thing, man. That was cool. And it's like that felt really good and exciting. I'm picturing like Back to the Future storm scene style, you and Bernie on the yeah. roof, like trying to put up the antenna. I was actually yeah. picturing you and Bernie like in a Wayne's World set, but whatever. <laughs> 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 Excellent. So, uh, so that was kind of where it came from. And then after uh, college, I uh, got a job in in Hollywood, and um, Bernie was working as president of a, uh, of a of a company here in Austin that did um, telecom. Uh, kind of telecom and internet stuff. But we kept kind of collaborate long distance and try to figure things out. But there really just wasn't a way to distribute distribute stuff online. This is probably like 1998. Right. And, um, you know, we worked through things for a few years and tried different avenues, uh, pitched things to TV and all that kind of thing. And then um, in 2001 or so, Bernie uh, and Gus 
made this short video that was a parody of the old Apple Switch videos. If you remember those, the, the yeah. commercials, where it's like the premise of those commercials was um, I switched to Mac because it's great at this or that. But uh, the the big knock against Macs at the time and still today was you can't play games on a Mac. So it was Gus saying, I switched to Mac because uh, I'm a gamer. It's got lots of great games like Photoshop. You know, there's no <laughs> games. So it was just it was ridiculous. And and um, so I didn't know anything about that video was being made. I was just at work uh, one day and uh, um, uh, one of my employees had it up on his screen, and I saw Gus, and I'm like, what is going on? How do you know Gus? What is this? And uh, I went to the phone immediately called Bernie, and uh, he, he said, yeah, we made that. I just said, did you make this video? And he said, yeah, I made that video, uh, but we just put it up like six hours ago. How did it get to you? That's crazy. Because they traveled to me from Texas to California, um, you know, in a span of a few hours, in a really a viral sense. It was before the term viral video existed, or at least was in common use. And um, that was kind of a light bulb moment for both of us. It was like, oh, you know, you can put something else. So this put something internet out. is kind of a thing. Yeah, it's matured to the point now where you can put something out and people will be able to, to find it. People that you would want to find it would find yeah. it. So that was a big moment. And then, um, you know, continued working, trying to make videos. Fast forward a little bit, um, uh, you know, first couple of videos for Red versus Blue come out. And... Uh, the first one, uh, not too many people found, uh, you know, gosh, I can't remember quite how it was now. Maybe, maybe it was like a, a hundred thousand or something. And, and you guys posted, as I've heard, the story goes, you posted on like the FARC and like some of those types of websites, right. a link, think, right? Yeah, like, I think it was the, I think it was the third, it might've been the third one, but it, the, the cadence was basically like the first one did okay. The second one did like really well. And the third one was like, oh my God, this is a th- real thing. Holy cow, we're off to the races. Like the th- by the third one, we was doing a million downloads uh, a week at least. And that was in the time when a download was a really significant thing because most people weren't even watching the download on their own personal computer. They would download it and they would burn it on a CD or something else and pass it around to friends. And that's, I think, how, or they'd watch it together at a LAN party or something like that. Most of the way that we heard about people finding Red versus Blue in the old days is whoever had the fastest internet connection in the neighborhood, who had a, a, a dad, you know, who worked at a, a job that had ISDN or something like that, would download as many episodes as they can, burn them on CDs for friends and pass yeah. them around. And we still find, like, I don't want to call them bootleg CDs because they weren't bootlegs, but they were, you know, homemade CD burns with all yeah. the old episodes. And that was really like, we were an internet entertainment company, but the internet was only like one step in the distribution chain, if you will. And the rest of it really was organic and was, was people sharing. And so a couple of things came out of that. Go ahead. And so the, the original Red versus Blue, where was it? Where, where did you get it? Like, where did you get the first episode of Red versus Blue? Like, was it on? Oh, a as, a, as a viewer, yeah. where did you get it? Oh, boy. And it, I guess you guys we weren't, even really thi- you weren't really thinking about distribution then. You were thinking about, like, let's just get this as far and this wide was, as possible. Well, it wasn't a business yeah. at that point. It was a fun project. And, of course, it's based on Halo, uh, which is a Microsoft uh, game. It was a Bungie-developed uh, title at the time. And we, uh, you know, we're, we were really, really just making it for fun and to learn and to, you know, also didn't know what the distribution possibilities were. And... Um, Microsoft found it pretty quickly. I think we were, we had a PHP BB uh, forum 
that was where most of the community interaction took place. And we had kind of like the very like a shell of a website. It wasn't much. It was like a, a page or two, and, the, and then the link to this um, this forum in the early days. It was all stuff that we could set up ourselves. That was not, you know, that you didn't have to be over terribly sophisticated to do. But I think it's important to, and I always get reminded of this when you tell the story that if you were a person who was socializing on the internet at this point and you were looking for things like this, you were a specific kind of person. You right. understood how the internet worked. Right. Because there was no casual use of the internet at That's this a, point. It's 100% right. Yeah, there, it was all early adopters. And right? I and this was also a time when, I'll tell you, like for me and my friends when, when we first started watching Red versus Blue, part of the experience of being on the internet and being one of these internet people was finding even old uh, like uh, concert recordings and putting those on CDs and sharing those with friends. Uh, and so uh, the, that culture uh, definitely existed with CDs and then became a DVD culture probably right around the same time that you guys yeah. really took off. And well, I'm probably too old for this to relate to most people but like or are listening to this podcast, but in my, my early days, high school and college, we would pass around VHS tapes. Right. You know, so that kind of all stemmed from, you know, from that kind of culture. but So I think the question is, how did Rooster Teeth become a business? Meaning, how the hell did you make money? Well, here's it, we were forced into it, in, in a way. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, uh, it was something that we were doing for fun and that we were excited about, and it was a, a creative, more of a creative drive than anything else. Um, but it was something we always wanted to do as our, as our livelihood. And when we put up those videos, and especially when we got to the point where there was a million downloads a week, it was expensive. You know, we turned around and we got a server bill for, I can't remember what it was now, but like $15,000 or something. And none of us had Which to. Which inflation adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> right. well, I mean, but no, but seriously, I mean, none of us had $15,000. That was, you know, shocking amount of money at the time. And... Uh, well, I guess Bernie could have sold his Tesla, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> his, his 2003 Tesla. Um, uh, but yeah, so we, we had to figure out a solution for this. And um, so one of the things that Bernie came up with was, why don't we have a, a subscription model? And, um, you know, it'd be nice to be able to sell people uh, a, a DVD or something like that. But we need some money right now so we could start... A subscription and we'll have some different tiers and I, I honestly can't remember what the tiers were now but one the main one was uh you get a dvd at at the end of of the of the cycle and that was did you guys start that in the second season right no it was right off the bat oh right off the bat okay. yeah it was, that was the first money we ever made was the subscription uh-huh and um so um, episode three or four it's a, it's up there's like give us money and we're gonna get you're gonna get a dvd of this whole series by the end of that's uh, right yeah that's right and then what did it, what did it cost? Uh, to, to, to the subscription, yeah, with the, the DVD, membership. I, I think it was twenty bucks. Yeah, I, for a year. Yeah, I think there was. I think we might have had a a ten dollar option where you didn't get the DVD, and then there was the twenty dollar option where you did get the, the DVD. I, some, I'm sure somebody listening to this will remember better than I can, and and post in the comments what it was because we actually still have people who are uh, subscribers to this day in. that are grandfathered yeah. in at their original rates that have had a subscription to Rooster Teeth since 2003, which is amazing. Thank you uh, Thank if you're listening. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but, yeah, so we did that, and then shortly thereafter we thought, you know, really this is no different uh, than any other form of media, and what do we like, you know, in terms of the 
kind of like ecosystem around a, a show that we're really excited about or, you know, or a movie. And um, let's just let's let's do some of those things and try some of that stuff out. So we started making T-shirts. Yeah. And um, we, we started, uh, you know, trying to sell other things and just, you know, kind of expanded each part of our um, lines of business slowly over time. The early days, really early days, there was no advertising yeah. at all because there was well, no advertising that existed. Online. No, I think that I always think about that and the, the sort of the, the progression of the business. And it's like the, you know, necessity is the mother of all creation where it's That's like, right. you know, you, ha- you basically had to be a, a subscription business because there was no advertising, right? because there was not necessarily like a, another place to put your content. So it was like, it became on red versus blue.com, the place to get the content. Mm-hmm. So you were an owned and operated website that hosted the content and the business model was subscription. That's right. And you kind of like, you turn it a little upside down by saying you can watch it for, you know, you can watch it on the subscription service and we'll send you the DVD as like the, the story, right. the, the icing on the cake. It was yeah. a little bit like, on you know, uh, PBS when you, they do the pledge drive and, you know, you give the money, uh, donate the money to them for the content and they give you a tote bag or something right. at the so, end. But uh, yeah, hopefully a so little in bit. In the early days, I'm guessing, that. though, that like the, the and I remember this, so I, I'm not guessing, but like also the episodes were like were ripped and placed in like lots of other different places like Ebon's they, World. and like Yeah, like, they were. That was one of our biggest challenges that was always tough because we were you know, it was just four or five of us and small operation. So we didn't have lawyers or people to issue cease and desists and even to know if that was a, a good thing to do, but it was ripped and put back up by a bunch of different websites. Yeah. And in some ways we were, you know, we, we got really concerned that we had lost the identity of red versus blue. It might've been turned on over to heavy.com or one of these other sites that had taken yeah. it without permission. Um, but you know, we kept kind of, we persisted and, and just did our own thing and developed other shows and went along so, after, over the years. And thankfully we had a community yeah. that was very sticky, um, and that were like super engaged with us and we were super engaged with them. And I think that was what, um, kept us from getting, um, a disintermediated from yeah. our own content. So in, from, from the very beginning, you guys always distribute on your own site. Yeah. You, people could watch the content on the site there was a, a physical media part of the business How, and that, that part grew pretty quickly, didn't it? To become, it did. Well, the, the big breakthrough there was we got picked up by GameStop. Uh, we, <laughs> when we f- first made the DVDs, I don't remember how many we sold through the subscriptions, uh, but our first order of DVDs was 10,000. And, um, then like one of the things that was like easy to track the success of the show is like the like you always end up ordering more like you, you order in like batch quantities for these things. But our first DVD run with season one of Red versus Blue was 10,000. Our first DVD run with season two was 25,000. And by season three, the first run was 80,000. So it was a it was a pretty big uh, progression. And of course, we're reordering all the other ones in the, the meantime and selling a lot of other things in fronting all the cost. And fronting all the costs, mm. which was really difficult. So when we would have to go like season three, we knew we had to order that many DVDs, um, but we really didn't have the money for it. So we had, uh, and I want to say that was in a, in July, we had several months leading up to that where we were just, you know, 
everybody's eating brown bag lunches and it's like, you know, at times it's, it's pretty thin. There's not a lot of money to go around. We're not do- doing much because we have to save up all our cash to, to pay the DVD manufacturer, yeah. you know? And then you have a party <laughs> as soon as it's done. Great to understand the early start. Now let's uh, let's let's flash forward a little bit because yeah. I think it'll be constructive as we get to more of present day. Let's talk about the first time you met YouTube. What was it like? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, one thing that's interesting is like we are uh, the business is is, a, is slightly older than Google AdSense, um, and so like we were saying earlier, there really was no advertising model. There was no like thing that you could just plug into. And we first met YouTube, or I first learned about YouTube. Bernie had done uh, some kind of speaking engagement, and there was uh, somebody from YouTube who wasn't the main, wasn't uh, Chad or the, the one Steve. of the two main guys. It was like the third guy. Yeah, was on it from YouTube, and um, and at the time, YouTube was basically it was a it was almost like a, a public DVR in a way, right? Where it was like clips from the Daily Show. And the Super Bowl and things SNL, like that. You know, yeah, like, it was mostly like yeah. th- there are two big moments where uh, John Stewart taken down Tuck, Tucker Tucker Carlson Tucker on on a crossfire, right? And right. then uh, the Janet Jackson nipple, nipple thing, and yeah. then Lazy Sunday. Yeah. I would say is the and third Lazy one. Sunday. Yeah. yeah, came out was really big too. And um, we were like, "What is this thing? This is you know weird." And then uh, and then our stuff started showing up on there, and uh, other like small creators that we knew that were, were doing this and it was it was kind of a like times like do we have to go all in on this or is this just another flash in the pan thing well, there this, is, this is pre-google acquisition this is way pre-google pre, pre yeah. acquisition it, it, at that time it was kind of like wild west in terms of Completely. in terms of these these um user-generated streaming platforms where you had you know meta cafe oh and, there's a ton of them yeah it, and rever and yeah. uh uh what was the other one that uh, blip and like there was a I mean there was a there was a lot yeah like they were springing yeah. up everywhere and YouTube was like just another one of them kind of at the, it kind of in was. that moment in in 2005 I think it was yeah and there was no reason really to think to they think were think they were gonna win yeah yeah I think from my perspective YouTube always felt more like a utility like they were never trying like these other uh, sites were to be a comedy focused site or an entertainment focused site like YouTube very quickly made the decision you know it was hot or not originally they right. very quickly made the decision we're just a place where you can upload video period and that's what i think set them apart i think yeah and so we were we were in a little bit of like in a i guess frenemy kind of thought like is this good for us or bad for us or we don't really know and then at some point uh, and I, I don't want to say YouTube started like 2006 ish, 2005. Yeah. So we, you know, we'd been in for, I guess, two to three years at the time. And, uh, uh and then it, but it was around 2008 or so, I want to say that they started doing the partner. Yeah. This is, this program. is po- post Google acquisition. Right. Um, and it Which was Google acquisition had been what, like 2007 or 2000. I think it was 2006 or 2000. It was pr- 2007, I believe, but maybe 2000. It was pretty yeah. quickly after it was, it was a meteoric rise. It was. Yeah. And you know, this, th- this is a time when MTV or Viacom was, was suing. That's right. Was suing. Well, we put a, we put a joke about that in, in red versus blue. But yeah. So, okay. And then, and then YouTube creates, has this pretty genius idea of why don't we share the money with, 
with the creators, which right. they were already doing with websites, mm-hmm. right? But like there was no economy on YouTube. No one was making money on YouTube. And so they started sharing money and that was the partner program. Right. Correct. Uh, and which sounded great. And so we kind of like um, started playing in that. Did not work out great at first. Um, so it, so it, YouTube starts monetizing on behalf of creators and you guys jump in. We jumped in. Uh, I wouldn't say we jumped in all the way, but we started, you know, we, we were uploading a fair number of videos and by this time you know we were making oh gosh we were making red versus blue still of course we were making we'd made strangerhood we'd made panics we'd made uh a handful of other uh videos for different series and we were also doing a lot of commercial work we were doing all the uh of those things and sometimes yeah. it ended up being kind of youtube friendly videos um but but in the early days of, of youtube i think it was like high aspirations for what the advertising revenue was going to look like and really very little results, if any. So was it about, was it about growing the audience or what, what sort of prompted, cause you still, it was still all about the Rooster Teeth site. Right. right? And, and it was still all about subscription. It was about DVD. So why YouTube at that point? I mean, I think there's a growing recognition that this was the next phase in online video and that if you wanted to be part of the conversation and kind of capture eyeballs, this is was really the only had be, had become the de facto place to do it by then, and it only made sense to be in a partnership with the biggest video platform. It was online. kind of an acknowledgement you had to be there. You really had to be yeah. there, and um, uh, you know, we the one thing we really did not want to do was give up our own site uh-huh. and our own community, and we felt really. Uh, strongly and still do about having our own destination and making that the most important piece of what we do. Um, And there were a lot of both creators and companies at the time that went all in on kind of the big mega platforms, right? All in on YouTube, all in on Facebook, all in on uh, MySpace or whatever it was around then. Yeah. Well, iTunes also early early on, right? right? That's right. Yeah. And there was like a Wired, I remember had a, an article and one of their cover stories was there are only four sites on the internet now. And it was like yeah. those sites, right? And that was the thing that everybody talked about. Like this is, this is how it is now. This is the future. Uh, these mega sites like control the entire internet. You're either on them or you're not part of the game. And we kind of rejected that and felt like, hey, that's, that's not what we wanted out of the internet, you know? Uh, we wanted a, a diverse place that has a lot of different things happening and a uh, space for everybody to, to come in and create and, and find something that they can do that's new and unique. Uh, so uh, I'm glad that we we I, we kind of went parallel paths, you know, like we, we feel like we got to be part of the conversation. We've got to be on these bigger platforms and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you don't give up your own space. And so I'm and I, which I'm really glad we never did. And also what. We've talked about this a lot in, in various conversations around the idea of windowing, but how did windowing change throughout the years, especially with red versus blue? Because I know you guys tried a lot of different things. We have, and it's it, it, we've tried so many different things that we probably can't cover them all in this, but one of the first things that we did was with um, paying sponsors versus uh, free users, there was a three-day window on getting the videos. And that helped us for multiple reasons. One, we we really did want to um, uh, create something that was a felt like a, a, a value for 
those sponsors that early were, access that early access yeah. was giving us give us money and um it felt like that was the right thing to do for them like uh but the other thing that helped us out was it kind of uh distributed our bandwidth load which was a big deal at the time where we could allocate bandwidth you know uh from a bunch of downloads on a friday when all the sponsors yeah. hit and then again on sunday night when the free users hit and it helped us kind of like even out our operations right so it was good on multiple fronts and then as we grew and as the platforms changed it became a really big thing we didn't want to go on all in on youtube uh especially you know the beginning of like it, it like we would release it simultaneously on our site and on youtube because if your content was the main driver for you to be on Rooster Teeth, then what would be the point? Like you would just, you know, it felt like you were giving up too much. Yeah, we give up yeah. way too much. And um, so when did you, when, when did you, when did uh, Red vs Blue episodes go to YouTube? Like in those early in years? those early days, it was a year, a year holdback. It was a year holdback. And and so if you were really a Red vs Blue fan, you would come to the website if you wanted to be up on the season and. Part of that also was you had a store and you had, right. you know, like we had a community, a community yeah. and there's a lot of reasons to be on the site. There was a lot of things happening and um, it, there was a, a like-minded kind of affinity that people who came to that, right. the website had. Uh, so, you, the, so YouTube was really like, okay, it's been a year, like, let's put it out there. Let's, let's try to build a new audience. And now it's discovery for yeah. people who don't know about us and um, reaching a broader audience overall. The core started with the core. You know, yeah, and then gradually expanded out word from there, right? Okay, so we talked a little bit about the, the history of the relationship with YouTube. Let, let's get to present day because I think we need to jump right into that. Yeah, so this is a question from Ask Me If I'm a Blimp. This came from it's a great name. from Reddit, yeah. yeah. How is it decided what content is RT site exclusive, RT first exclusive, or put on YouTube and RT? So I guess that's like that's the the quintessential windowing question. Yeah, and, and when would yeah, be the other yeah, half yeah, of question, right? Yeah. I mean, so, for, for me, it's half. I mean, I, I think Evan will have a great answer for this, but for for me, it's a like it's kind of half art, half science. Yep. Yeah. You know, there's a there are some things that you know you need to get out quickly, like if they're topical like RT podcast where they have a conversation. That's something that's relevant to what's going on in current events. And, um, there are other pieces of content that aren't topical and we've put a lot of time and money and effort into and feel like they need to be behind a paywall and, and we need to establish the premium nature of those shows in the way right. that we distribute them as well as in the way that we make them. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you just look at a show and you just have a gut feeling about like, you know, this is going to work this way. Or, you know, we need to get this out really fast because of what it is. And so I, I, there are rules around it, but there are also seems like sometimes almost as many exceptions as there are rules because that's the nature of, of art. I think that, uh, that's one of the best things about producing and owning our own content is we can make those decisions on a case-by-case -case basis and evolve them as time goes on and as platforms change like YouTube uh, it certainly has. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that in a little bit here. I mean, for a lot of that it comes down to, uh, for, at first blush, like, what is the core concept here? You know, I think Hardcore Tabletop is a really good example of that. From the first time we started talking about that and you hear, we're going to play Monopoly with real money. 
the stakes are high enough that as a user, I would totally pay to see that, right? Um, and then you follow that up with, okay, well, we've got to produce it differently then, right? We can't just produce this like uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, some of the other awesome tabletop shows that we also currently make that are uh, put on YouTube, Let's Roll, Bored as Hell. It's got to look like something that you would expect to pay for. And hence, uh, you know, Hardcore Tabletop has half hour long and hour long episodes. It is shot and feels a little bit more like a reality show. That's a good gut check question, right? I think there are definitely all moments where we see a piece of content or there's a um, something that we have in development where you just feel like, oh, man, I'd pay to watch that. Right. Yeah. You know, like you just hit, get that sense. Yeah. The bar is high, though. The bar is very oh, high. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it gets higher all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I think about it a lot where it's just like, God, Netflix is a good deal. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. holy moly, there's a lot of high quality content there. There's a lot of stuff that the I don't want to watch, too, but, but yeah. Man, it's it, it. The bar is high for getting people to pay for content. But part of part of make, creating that feeling of value, I'm paying for this, and I can't believe how much I'm getting, is making sure that as we develop content, that we are developing with our first members in mind. That's right. You know, and making sure that every single week of the year, there's a reason why uh, you're a subscriber. I think that one of the things that's really interesting right now in our business is the relationship with YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what I think about a lot is that, like, we have this this incredible content engine. You know, as you guys talked about, there's different, um, you know, every piece of content potentially has a different, you know, where it should go and when. But but I think it's just at a, at a business level, you think about YouTube and you think about where that fits into our business and what's going on in the platform. Are there any... Any things that you that you you think about, like with regards to how strategy is deviated, given what's happening on YouTube today? Well, you know, it's interesting because these things are cyclical. And I, you know, started talking earlier about where YouTube was when we first started, and that the monetization was promised but not really there, right? And I, I should preface this by saying we love YouTube. You know, yeah, yeah, it's a great platform, not just for us, but for a lot of people. But they have their own set of objectives and they're their own business and they have to do things that make sense for them. And sometimes they're, those are going to align with us great and sometimes they're not. And that's fine. We just have to be responsible about what those things are and making sure we're using it to our best advantage. Yeah. Uh, and there's and that we're doing the right thing for our, for our audience. Right now, I mean, I think a lot of people know that uh, YouTube has been evolving pretty dramatically in the last couple of years, uh, and there's been a, a, a myriad of reasons for that, um, as kind of like content saturation has kind of happened, uh, as they've had to protect the service from people who don't want to use it the right way. Um, advertisers. And you're, you're specifically for, talking about some of like the the challenges they've had with with brands and advertisers. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and uh, advertising on YouTube, uh, you know, in general has has shifted. I'd say a, it feels like a little bit m- more away from independent creators at sometimes to um, uh, established traditional media right. brands. And that, I'm, I don't want to paint too broad a brush, but. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are talking about this this yeah. online, and it affects us. And I think you know, people always wonder, like, 
do these things when they hear about things like the ad apocalypse, right? Yeah. Uh, of last year's affect us, and it does. You know, there's no really way around it. But ultimately, I think the story with us and YouTube um, is one that we've seen played out in different ways with a lot of um, different platforms and other online businesses that we've worked with over the years. And w one thing we always, always try to keep in mind is, is like if you don't control your own destiny, that you can't be surprised when situations change. Sure. And we just have to figure out ways to, to work with that. There, there's a lot of other creators who have way worse platform risk with respect to YouTube. That's they, right. They, they're all in. They're head over skis. If YouTube doesn't work for them, their business is, is toast, gone. right? Yeah. And Where we can see, we see the, the, the headwinds of YouTube, but it just means that we have to put emphasis on different places in our business. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Absolutely. I mean... And these things do evolve over time, right? And I think we've we've seen um, the maturity in our own platform kind of come about and solidify at the same time that um, YouTube has taken some term, turns that uh, aren't great for us, to be honest, yeah. right? And um, we've also seen like our audience maturing with what their tastes are and what they want out of us and the experience they want out of us and our ability to deliver on that has grown over the last couple of years. So, I mean, our, clearly our, uh, use of YouTube is, is changing. Right? Yeah. I mean, what it's something I think about a lot is like, you have to be so damn nimble yeah. today. Yes. Like yes. think about traditional television networks, right? Mm -hmm. Like what a great business model. Okay. They, they get paid and carried by these services. Now they've spent a lot of money now, on content. A lot of people don't understand what that means when you yeah. say carried. So like tell, explain explain the the network to cable operator yeah, relationship. So so think about it like when you um get television in your house like you're buying that from Comcast or DirecTV or Dish or I guess Spectrum is the new right. the new, new Time Warner cable. So you're buying the service through essentially the the cable operator. And those cable operators have gone out and they've done deals with, you know, with, with the owners of these channels that are now mostly media conglomerates like Disney and Comcast and AT&T through, through Warner Media now, Viacom and, and um, Discovery who owns Scripps. So there's like, there's basically like 90% of media ownership is by probably 10 companies. I'm not going to talk about that, but what I want to talk about is the fact that the, the traditional system those guys get paid for the license of their channel and they get paid for the advertising. So I forget the last number, but uh, ESPN gets something like $6 or $7, something like that right. across, across, I think it's like over 90 million homes. That's why it's the most valued uh, media property in the world. They also sell advertising. What's also great about their business is they have 10 year a lot of times they have like 10 year contracts with those operators. And so if like you're trying to plan whether you want to like get the NFL rights or the, uh, the basketball championship rights or invest in talent or a specific show, like in your head, you're like, I got some time. We, we can figure this out. We have a model to figure this out. I think one of the really interesting things about digital media companies is like it is day to day. It is month to month. It is year to year. It's hand to hand combat trying to, build these businesses and you got to be extremely nimble. 
Also, from a creative perspective, I mean, all of the changes in YouTube's platform and the way it monetizes and everything else also leads to a totally different kind of creative that works today on YouTube than what used to work. Um, and, you know, we see that with the performance of our own shows. And I think we all see that with a lot of the creators who we've followed from the very beginning who mm -hmm. now have to feel like they have to do something differently than they did a couple of years ago. Some of them are really able, easily able to adapt to that. I think Shane Dawson in particular today, mm -hmm. like, I'm hearing more about him today or as much as when he was peak doing his vlogging yeah. stuff and other people have not been able to. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, there's like so many shows and creators that we see that are still making content that was just as good as they always made. And for whatever re reason, whether it's algorithmic on YouTube or it's just trends within the ecosystem of the viewership on YouTube the viewership has just gone away. Yeah. yeah. I think and you compare that to CBS, like CBS can run the big bang theory for a hundred years. Yeah. Right. There's, there's also so much, you know, it's, it's a very much a topic that's in vogue right now, but the power of the algorithm to determine what you see, right? Like, exactly. it, it, you know, in the, in the past media owners controlled the, the channels of marketing by which they could drive eyeballs. And there was only a sort of a scarcity of places you could watch that content. Well, and the interface of an EPG also forces you into, here's the list of things that you can watch That's right the now. programming got on your right, television, yeah. correct, right? So it's like, now think of that in the world of, of Google and you have unlimited content and the algorithm, you know, that you're, you're basically hopefully not, but somewhat chasing to and figure you're kind out of at the, at the, the mercy, the mercy of, of the yeah. algorithm. Yes. The, when the AI takes over, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get back on track a little bit because I know we were we're we're sort of going to some some interesting tangents. But um, let, let's talk a, a little bit more about that YouTube relationship today. So, Evan, how do you think about YouTube in your distribution strategy? Yeah. You know, um, when you're making decisions on what content where, like, where does YouTube fit into that? Well, I, you know, first and foremost, it is a creative consideration, just like we think about what's going to uh, be right for uh, keeping behind the paywall for our first members. Um, because like I said, there are things that creatively work on YouTube and there are things that, that don't. Um, the other thing that we look at is, again, thinking about that windowing model. Uh, each step in the windowing model, each platform where we go, uh, we've got to be there for the, the amount of time where we feel like, okay, we've done all we can here before we go somewhere else. Um, and like Matt kind of alluded to earlier, some of the stuff that we're making relies on immediately getting to as broad an audience as possible. And there's no better example of that than all of our talk shows and podcasts, right? We, we, we need, we're talking about current events on most of them. And the goal is how quickly can we amass as many listeners and viewers on those as possible? Um, you know, in contrast to that, something that we keep behind the paywall or that we window to be free uh, on our tee, we do that because we recognize that there's an amount of time that, uh, you know, it, it, to be perfectly frank, is constantly changing and we're constantly evaluating what that right amount of time is. There's an amount of time that it will have a lot of value for our first members. There's an amount of time that if we keep it free to watch on our own platform, uh, we can continue to drive traffic to that and continue to gain value out of it. And then once it goes to YouTube, it becomes much more difficult for us to get any value from that content on our own platforms. Um, you know, it's not impossible, but it you're talking about the second largest search engine in the world. So it changes the playing field significantly. Um, and so as a result, you know, different pieces of content, and, and as I said earlier, that is where, you know, there's a, a, an immeasurable kind of discoverability effect and kind of a, a billboard effect for that. 
Um, but number one, it's difficult to quantify. Number two, we're still even deciding whether or not we actually truly believe that that exists. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, getting to YouTube uh, is where we really get the least value out of uh, from a yeah, business perspective. I think, I think people don't really understand that, which is, you know, the shows that we're making are in some in some respects are, are television yes. level budgets. Yes. And again, going back to we don't have TV level economics, right. especially on YouTube. Mm -hmm. You don't have TV le level economics like I, I just want to, you know, a little bit of media math. Right. Just to level set. If you put a video on YouTube, you tip. Let's just say for average, you get like a two dollar CPM. That's cost per thousand views. So if you get a million views, that is worth two thousand dollars. That's not a lot of money. That's not a lot of money. That's the average viewership of every episode of Ruby Volume 5 on YouTube. Right. So, the budget is more than that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, like, it's important for for, the, for that in terms of context to understand that, like, YouTube is not a You know, in aggregate, like, YouTube is an important part of our business. It's an important part of meeting and connecting with our fans all over the world. It's a great platform. But it's really... I would say, is it more about just wide distribution than it is just than, than monetization? It definitely is. And it's also not, it's not the best place to serve up the content either for us. You know, I mean, we, we've always been big into like, let's create the best experience for, for viewing the content. And I, we keep coming back to like, to do that right. We need to, own the experience and put it out on our own platform and make make it the best possible viewing um, experience for for our, our our viewers in our community. And the nice thing about that, honestly, is like it ends up being also uh, financially the best thing for us to do. Yeah. Now YouTube's a great platform, like you said, for uh, finding new audience and help people discovering you and all all, the, all of those types of things. But uh, it's not a great platform for monetization at the level that we're at now, the kinds of things that we're trying to do, the kinds of programming that our yeah. audience has said that they want to see. And if you just compare us to, uh, you know, any uh, network, right, any TV network, right, um, Ruby is at the level, of, you know, and Genlock and some of the other shows we're doing, Camp Camp, of, of things you would see on uh, Adult Swim or any other um, cartoon uh, programming TV network, right? But the financials are like drastically yeah. different. Can you imagine if uh, Cartoon Network just decided to go all in on YouTube and then said like, "Huh, yeah. our shows are only making two thousand dollars a pop." Right. When we put them out, like, yeah. that would never fly. So, so, how do you think about and how do you think about YouTube today? And I've heard you talk about this with with the team, and I think it's it's really interesting. Is you talk about shifting how we think about YouTube from being a digital company to thinking more like a television company, right? How would a mm -hmm. TV network think about using YouTube from a distribution perspective in terms of when it puts its content there, what kind of content it puts on that platform because of some of the limitations from a business perspective? Right. Well, we're a funny hybrid, right? Right. Because we are uh, a business like we think of ourselves as uh, a network and we certainly create as much content. We make, was it Evan, 1500 hours last year of content that we yeah, made? That's right. Uh, and you know, I think the, um, uh, for those, those carried network 
cable TV channels to have to make like 500. Right. They're right? only producing for prime time if you're TNT, TBS, and then you're rerunning that and you're licensing a ton of movies and stuff to fill up the rest. Right. So you compare us to TV, you compare us to anything, we're making a lot of content as a network. Uh, at the same time, we are a collection of, of creators, and um, there is... Uh, something that I think we all in like at least in this generation feel about having our stuff online where there's um, somewhat of an addiction right to view counts and likes and all those things and um, YouTube is one of those platforms that's it's almost like a social media platform more so than a, uh, a video platform yeah. in many ways and for us what works I think the best at this point with YouTube and as we think of ourselves as as a business is to think of Rooster Teeth really as more of a TV network. We're concentrating on what um, we think is the best for, for our audience and the kind of programming we think is best uh, experienced on our platform. And with YouTube, uh, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's a completely a social media platform for us, uh, but it's, it's somewhere, somewhat of a hybrid where it's, it's a, it needs to be a distribution platform for us somewhere down the chain where, uh, we haven't uh, uh, cannibalized all of the the, the worth of our pro- programming by the time it gets there, right? Like you said, Evan. Um, and then we need to use it to find a uh, new audience and to, to talk to fans that haven't figured out what the home of Rooster Teeth is really all about yet. So, but it's a tough thing, you know. Yeah. It's a transition because, you know, it's a it is a video platform, and um, it, it there's a, a really strong pull there because. Uh, of the way it's set up, it kind of it rewards um, you uh, uh, trying to win, right? It's almost like they've gamified mm-hmm. uh, content distribution for for young creators, for small creators. And there's a there's there's a, a thing that we have to do to kind of um, reset our brains in a way to say like this isn't something that we uh, must do to service our content in the right way. It's something that we need to do to reach out to audience, but our content, like we've got to make the best experience for our, our community and our audience yeah. on our own terms. So that will clearly change the, because it's important. It's, it's important. super important. Yes. So, it, but it will change the type of content that maybe you you make specifically with a YouTube mindset, correct? Or it will because I mean, you know, I mean, if you're really just getting down to the dollars and cents of it, you know, two thousand um, dollars. It, it, it doesn't pay for a lot of a video. It's, so it's you're maybe thinking of it more like it's marketing. It's, it is a bit of marketing. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, what that was a, a learning, I think, that we had uh, with Red versus Blue and the experience because, and, and what I say by that, the, the learning specifically was um, marketing uh, through content creation, programming itself, it's kind of a spectrum. It's not really in this day and age. It's not mm-hmm. one hard thing where it's like you're only doing marketing, you're only making content. Um, it's it's a it's a range of things, you know. For some people, Red versus Blue was marketing of Halo. Mm-hmm. You know, to us, it was a, it was a show, but there is a spectrum there, and the same is true with with content. Like we try very sincerely and very very hard to make great content every day, and um, uh, to make each individual piece of content that we that we make matter unto itself, but at the same time, that content also services 
as marketing for Rooster Teeth as a whole and the entire experience as a whole. Yeah. Right. The, the other part of the, of the YouTube equation I think is important that we didn't really talk about is it is advertising. It, it is the place, right. the, the problem, it is the predominant place where advertising for the company happens. It's the, in, it's where we see the, the most viewership around the, uh, the RT podcast, which, which, you know, we obviously monetize through the direct response partners like Casper mattresses and Harry's, shave and, and so on and so forth. You know, we do make money from ads that YouTube programmatically sells. We do branded content. And these, you know, I think that it's a, you, I really think that you, whether you like advertising or not, you need advertising to support the quality of content that we want to create. Yeah. I mean, I think that like Netflix is an incredible service mm-hmm. and maybe there are services like Netflix that can get by with just being subscription only. There are services like Prime that are a bundle where you get free shipping, plus you get all this video service. So they're kind of hybrid model um, in there. But but the, the predominant number of entertainment companies, of, of TV companies, of media companies have made their money through subscription and advertising. That's right. You think about like, um, you know, the, the print magazines and the, in the newspapers, they had advertising, but they also, you paid for the subscription. Right. And I think that like we sometimes, you know, you can, you can sometimes forget about that and that both are important. Totally. And, I mean, the ESPN model that you were talking about earlier, yeah. that is a subscription, right? You don't see it on your cable bill as like, I paid $7 per month. To ESPN, right. but it is a subscription, right. right? And they're also advertising. Yeah, and what that allows you to do, right, within a hybrid model, uh, you know, even though the, most of the businesses that you guys are talking about right now, you as a subscriber still see ads. What we do, you know, by kind of separating those two experiences, uh, allows us to still maintain the window by which we can continue to be broad, even right. if it is on our own terms, right. while still having this subscription business. We have a significant amount of free viewership on our website, and we love all of those people uh, just as much as we love our first members. Well, look, we're gonna t- we're gonna have another episode just about um, advertising, so I don't want to go t- too deep there. I just wanted to mention in the context of YouTube, it's because it, I think it's such an important part. Going a little bit deeper, this is a question from Hounds of War. Can you potentially talk a little bit about the decision to expand first only period of Ruby from three days to a week? Sure. And, you know, when we first started talking about this, one of the things that we put up was uh, the tweet Gus put out about YouTube demonetization, right? And that didn't tell the entire story. Uh, But it it has gotten increasingly difficult to support. a mid-level show, uh, uh, budget-wise, on, on YouTube, and with Ruby in particular, you know, we have grand ambitions for that show, and we're like improving on it every year, and that has has paid off in terms of the 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 fan response to it, like our uh, creative um, desires around making that show the best it can possibly be, and the longevity of the show, and then the entire universe around it. And everything we do with that show, in particular, all of our content, but we think about Ruby a lot because it's emotional to us and it has a lot of deeper meaning. Um, we, we have to make really careful decisions about. There's, you know, a, a lot of reaction from the community about um, gaps in time. Right. Right. And we felt like, well, we have not only right now. Um, a gap in time problem we have a platform problem right. where the audience is is separated the community is separated onto multiple platforms 
And one of those two platforms, YouTube, is really not enhancing the experience. And so for us, like the best thing to do strategically, financially, and, and for the benefit really of the audience, for a better experience, is to bring it all into one place. And we feel like this is the moment in time where we've improved our service to the point where it's a great viewing experience. It's got a, a great community behind it. We're doing the things that we, I think, are essential to do to, uh, to, to appropriately serve all of our viewership, like including closed captions on videos. And we are like all in on making the show and the experience around it and our platform as good as it can possibly be. And we've got to put all of our efforts into it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Do you have any thoughts on the on the moving? Yeah, I mean, I think the other piece of it is we we did a ton of experimentation uh, before uh, we made this decision um, with a lot of different series. One of them being Red versus Blue, which you know, like Matt mentioned, uh, whenever Red versus Blue comes yeah. up as something to potentially experiment on, I feel like Matt and Bernie are like, well, we tried everything once with it, so what the heck? Is the guinea pig of Rooster Teeth exactly? Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think with Red versus Blue and Camp Camp this summer, the decision not to put those on YouTube immediately, uh, I was certainly pleasantly surprised, and I think we were all pleasantly surprised with, number one, just the community reaction, and number two, you know, just looking at the viewership and the numbers. Uh, Camp Camp know, does great numbers. It, do, it does it, very well and I think uh, for it, us. It should, it, it should be said, too, that like when we say put it on our own service, we have a freemium model. Yeah, so like, it's yeah. free. So, so stuff is usually behind the paywall for a week, mm-hmm. and then it's, it's free. It's it's literally for everyone. Right. So you, you can, can find wa- it on the largest search engine in the world, Google. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you know, just like YouTube, you can watch it, and there might be advertising that you that you have to watch in order to pay for the you know the the experience. And we're not advertising that much today, but I mean, the idea is that you would see ads and we'd make mm-hmm. money from ads, and you but you'd be able to watch it for free, which right. I think is is incredible. Yeah, and you know, it's like it, the hard thing is like it's like putting the genie back in the bottle a little bit right it's yeah. like once people once people have experienced something one way it's very hard for them to mm-hmm. experience it any other way even though it really is the same it really well, is i mean go ahead Evan. i want to or you would say be- you would say better right? yeah i think it is better i really do honestly do and i the thing we are have always been trying to be really careful about taking anything away from the audience that they were used to you know and th- that could be something like within a show or the style of presentation of the show or the platform of the show or whatever. Um, but we don't control other platforms. Yeah. And I, you know, that's, that's, I also the, think, that's the thing. I also want to talk about a little bit just like th- this is such a big thing for Rooster Teeth, right? With, it with is. Ruby, Huge. right? Huge. I, I want to talk a little about the decision yeah. um, here to get here because I, I know that it was a, it was it was tough. And a lot, like, can you just talk about all the people that were involved in the decision and, and how we ended up here, Matt? Well, I think, I, I don't know, uh, Ezra, we probably have, what, I know, 20 meetings about this? Yeah, for uh, sure, yeah. You know, over time. And, uh, I mean, the people who are in the room right now, uh, Barbara was a huge part of this. Obviously uh, Bernie. Bernie. Gray. Gray. Miles. Miles. Miles has been really um, good in, in terms of his uh, thought leadership like yeah. around mm-hmm. this. It's, in, it's, uh, it's, it's actually down. interesting because I think that we've had to do as much internal education as external yeah, education absolutely. on like the why yeah. around some of these decisions, because like you said, there, there is a, 
a, a desire from creators to just want to have your stuff as widely seen as possible. Right. And, and to be able to see that view count publicly and to read all those comments on YouTube and, you know, maybe not all those comments, <laughs> but, but, um, but, but I think that when, when we have to, we've had to do the work of sitting down with them and getting to understand the underlying why of, um, uh, you know, why it's important for this to be on YouTube, uh, not on YouTube, but on rooster teeth, mm-hmm. for, you know, and why the windowing needs to change from three days to seven days. And, you know, I think that w- what I've seen is is an incredible commitment to what we're all trying to do here, which is make more great, awesome content for our community. Yeah. And, and un- unfortunately, like there is some hard business decisions that have to get made that maybe in the short term could... You know, people could take the wrong way. I'm going to quote Bernie uh, poorly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, The Internet demands progress, but the Internet hates change. Yes. Right. Right. And uh, you can't have one without the other. And I but but I genuinely feel this is real progress. It's a great thing. Yeah. It's going to bring our community together in a way we've never been able to do before. And there is a chance that it will eventually go on YouTube, correct? Yeah. I mean, we have a windowing strategy that involves a lot of different platforms. It involves physical media and involves uh, ultimately YouTube. Mm -hmm. So that we just but we have to have the ability to leverage those things in the appropriate way. I want to make sure you address the question directly about three days versus seven days. You, You did. But just to be perfectly clear, you know, when you look at the three-day window uh, for first exclusives, uh, and then four days it's free to watch on RT, and then all of a sudden it, 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 it goes to YouTube. The community at that point, to Matt's point, was already split. You had an entire large community on YouTube uh, with an experience that was not consistent with the quality of the show. And by extending that window from three to seven days, uh, we're allowing ourselves to take advantage of a windowing model that we know uh, will benefit the show uh, and uh, still maintain the ability for all of those users who watched it on YouTube to still watch it for free at the same time that they always did. That's right. Now, I will say one of the things that, you know, Barb talks a lot about is is that what people are are going to miss is can they talk to their friends who are free users, right? And I think we're just saying you got to wait a little bit longer. But it's such an interesting phenomenon that Rooster yeah. Teeth mm-hmm. um, has where, like, many of the people who've been most vocal about the three versus seven day window pushing for earlier windows is actually the the people who are paying users because they want to be able yeah, to talk I know. to their friends. It, and, and I think actually that's a great thing. I, I, I love that. And I, that's one thing I think we really want to make sure that we don't make anybody feel like, um, you know, we're ab- abandoning you because you don't have the money to be a, f- a first member yeah. at the moment. That's not at all what this is about. Um, and, you know, like you said earlier, like we love our free users just as much as our as our paid users. And the entire community is like has been has been great to us, um, but we have to do what's right for the show, you know. And um, the 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 commitment that we have is to quality quality of the of the show, quality of the experience, quality of the community engagement, and that's what we're trying to achieve. talked about kind of like decision making around the first window which is typically our own service mm-hmm. we talked about how that kind of goes free we talked about the challenges and opportunities on youtube 
Day five is is on TV. Day five is on TV. Day five yeah, is yeah, on TV. What? Where does TV fit into our our business today? Like, you know, I think that it, it's easy to say that TV doesn't matter, but like, and if, certainly from a from a revenue perspective, it's rather a small part of the equation. But like, how do you think about some of those those other windows, those traditional it, windows? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's tough with TV more than any other platform, probably because. Um, we are at kind of uh, a peak TV moment where there's a lot of content on TV specifically. And uh, it, it, content that is lives on TV usually is on TV first and not windowed from a smaller SVOD service like ours mm-hmm. to TV. And oftentimes the deals between that, as was talking about before, the deals between the TV networks and the cable providers have some limitations around how long that particular cable network must uh, have a particular program on its own SVOD service. That's right. It's a, yeah, not even something that they can control. It's right. up to the carriers. Exactly. So, um, so for us, like with uh, day five, uh, that's a show that we feel like is an amazing show that we wanted to get out to more people. It's not the type of show that really makes a whole lot of sense on uh, YouTube. It's a long-form drama. It's not really... Well, in fact, we put an episode on YouTube that didn't do that well. Yeah, it's just not a platform that's conducive to yeah. watching that type of thing. And you can see the same kind of results for TV networks that have tried a similar uh, strategy Um with your shows, uh, it's it's an, it was really a show that was shot and designed to be experienced in more of a TV format. So for us, it just makes a lot of sense to try it. The yeah. hard part is that there is a window uh, that if you want to be on TV, you have to be in this other SVOD service, which means we have to take it off of our service for a brief period of time on a like per episode basis. It comes back, right? Um, but we felt like that was uh, an acceptable trade-off, especially with day five that's been around for, you know, several years yeah. at this point, and hopefully the majority of our uh, audience has been able to see it, and th- now we will be able to find new, new audience, audience yeah. by going out. I mean, the fact that we have a sh- TV show on network TV in the UK is unbelievable. Yeah. And it's going to be on uh, network TV here in uh, our cable, cable TV yep. here in in the U.S. in October, mm-hmm. right next month. Mm-hmm. So, or maybe this month, depending on depending which when spot, this podcast. Yeah. So, in a perfect yeah. world, do you, do you see more of these types of deals happening? Do you see like Ruby or Genlock on on television? Would that be a good thing for Rooster Teeth? I think it would be a good thing, depending on you know how it unfolded and what yeah. the terms are, and making so that we could like protect our own. Uh, platform, yeah. of course, and make sure that our community had the experience that they need to have. But Some yeah, of this stuff uh, is just good enough that it should be on TV. Right. Is that, is Abs- that kind of, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, we're, you know, I think we've really evolved and grown. And I mean, guys, I can't wait for you to see Genlock. It's crazy. It's so good. It's so good. But there's a lot of this stuff that you just feel like, um, man, I just want the whole world to see this. Yeah. And and to see it in the in the right way yeah and um and that that's i think the way for us to do it going forward and i think that it's important to recognize that the traditional uh, first of all what we're trying to do 
in and of itself is difficult. You're talking about a new media mentality. It's not trying been done. to mesh with the traditional media mentality, and it's never been done. The idea that we are a niche asphod service financing our own content to our own audience, and then trying to broaden it by then uh, license success of Windows uh, to other people, it's just not a model that anyone is used to. And so it's something that we are trying to get out into the marketplace and make sure that people understand where we fit with relation to what they're doing, and try to find uh, the right shows and position the right shows in such a way that, that we're able to take advantage of it. But it's it's hard. Yeah, there's nobody could, else doing it. And there could be, but you could also see that we could, from a studio capability, make a show for specifically for a TV network that maybe wouldn't go on our on our SVOD service, right? Oh, for sure. Because yeah. I think there'll be scenarios where, um, you know, it's an upper limit for us in terms of budget. Right. Or, or it's just not uh, a perfect fit. Or it's right. not a perfect fit. I mean, there are definitely things that we like to make yeah. that maybe aren't ideal for our right. platform you know and we don't want to limit ourselves in that way i mean it's a it's a unique thing and it's yeah. on a case by case basis, i mean you know who's actually navigated that really well is vice right vice yeah. has yeah. they've got their own property they've got a tv network they have a show on uh, their documentary show on hbo mm-hmm. they, they, they have a streaming news show on hbo they've got all kind of different you know um so uh, there is a model for this i think right. that, that i would be excited to explore to be to be determined whether whether we get there, I think that like we have the capabilities here and we have the creative firepower certainly to go do that. I think it's it's just a matter of time. I do want to thank Daniel NYE for that question. Great question. Yep. Okay, guys. Now I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call this a lightning round. Um, oh boy. There's there's a there's a bunch of um, more questions I have, but let, I want to really just these are gonna be more pinpointed. They're gonna be more like let's just get right to the answer, and then we'll move on to the next one. I might um, punch Evan in the face when we're ready to move on <laughs> to the next one, <laughs> or or maybe I'll just I'll just say let's move on. So um, if you hear me scream, you know why. Yeah. Okay. This is a question from Bringing Down Fesky. The sky. The, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Lightning round. Lightning round. This is a question for bringing down the sky. So how do you deal with content theft like people reposting RT videos on YouTube, maybe even posting clips to streams on stuff like Streamable? And are there any not so obvious consequences? This is clearly something that um, you guys dealt with a lot in the early days. You did. Evan, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? The most important thing to remember is Rooster Teeth is a company that began by taking someone else's IP called Halo and creating something brand new inside of it. And Microsoft has been an amazing partner of ours. Uh, they absolutely, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, they could have shut this whole thing down. No, they you're didn't. 100% right. They've been amazing. And one of the things they said to us early on was we're a company that uh, wants to reward and encourage innovation, and you guys are doing something innovative. So, with that in mind, uh, our content usage guidelines are publicly posted on uh, on roosterteeth.com, and uh, we do police people who are just reposting our content, but at the end of the day, uh, as a digital company, number one, piracy has to be taken into account in your business model, and number two, the most important thing that we can do is enable our community to exist, enable our community to transform our content just as we transform someone else's content, and as long as they're sharing that with the community, we're fine with it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, here's, a, here's a quick one, Matt. I'm going to throw this one to you. This okay. is from Grifter DC. What, uh, what's one aspect of the business side everyone assumes, and I'm going to say this is from distribution, assumes is easy, but is actually challenging? 
oh yeah making money on content (laughs) i mean it's like it's hard it's really hard i mean that's why we've always had such a diversified business model because uh you know our our business if you look at like a pie chart we've got merchandising we've got advertising we've got events we've got licensing and uh we've got our subscriptions and uh we need all those things you know like as uh as uh, times change things evolve uh you know uh you, you can't ever count on just being able to rely on one so making money on content is not easy it is hard every single day here's a question from lil mark hono hono a lot of artists, especially in the music, say they're independent when they actually use Sony or someone else for distribution. Mm. Is Rooster Teeth actually independent? If not, how does the distributor affect the content you choose to make? Well, on a technical level, no, we're not independent. But on a production autonomy level, yes, we are independent. Um, and I, I can't speak to the bands, you know, like as an analogy, but we're kind of on an island, you know, in terms of like being in Austin and um it's more of a feel it's more it's more of a feeling yeah yeah yeah. we control you know pretty much everything we do and uh we don't ask for a lot of help from above when we get it we're really appreciative and thankful um but i think you know they kind of expect us to do a good job and take care of ourselves and you know keep rolling and that we think we've got a good track record and in the digital media space it's it's almost like any company any brand that is not a traditional uh, honest traditional distributor like if you're not on comcast to me in a sense you're independent yeah right? like you're kind of you're on your own you're flying yeah. like at the the whims of this digital media landscape that's right, right. if you if we screw it up it's on us yeah right okay here's a here's a question again from um, bringing down the sky what are some of the biggest myths regarding digital content distribution that you wished everyone knew there's no such thing as a viral video there's a great book called Hitmakers by Derek Miller uh, that I give to everyone on my team. And he has, I think, the best analysis of why this idea of a viral video just doesn't exist. At the end of the day, yes, even we create content that we build specifically for what I call the audience of our audience. The idea that if you're a Rooster Teeth fan, it's something you can share with someone who has no idea what Rooster Teeth is and they'd love it. I think Rooster Teeth Animated Adventures is like the alpha version of that. But at the end of the day, uh, in order for something to truly take off, you're still relying on one of those shares being somebody who has a gigantic following and can broadcast it in order for it to get uh, kind of that big jump that allows it to spread as, uh, as large as people do. It's just not something that people really see unless you have the kind of tracking tools and back end stuff that we use to, to try to monitor this stuff. To make a viral video, you got to get download disease. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here, here's a um, question from MX underscore RCG. Have you ever considered going to markets other than English-speaking countries? Oh, yeah. I mean, we'd love to do that. And uh, we obviously did it with Ruby with Japan. And um, Rooster Teeth First is available worldwide. There you go. Um, uh, just the... Uh, operations of having a, a big translation and dubbing dubbing yeah. and localization yeah. uh, apparatus we're not ready for so we're just focusing on serving our english speaking audience worldwide but uh, we'd love to be able at that point at some point in the future okay so this is going to be the last question and uh, i think this is a, a good one to to finish up on it's from lil ashoka 
and I'm again, this is through the lens of distribution. What are your long-term goals for the company and where do you see rooster teeth in 10 years, 10 years from now? This could be three years, five years, seven years. I, the point is like, what's the future look like from a distribution perspective for this company? It's <laughs> that future question thing is always so difficult because I mean, the answer is really like, we want to perfect what we do, you know, and we, we don't necessarily want to make more, but we want everything that we make to be incredible, as good as it can possibly be, and every part of the experience to be the best it can possibly be. Um, and so it, it's not a quantifiable answer. It's a, 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 a elu- ever-elusive goal of making things better every single day and feeling like we're better artists and better creators. Such a PC answer. I love and, it. And but. better professionals. <laughs> so what's your answer? What's your business answer? I mean, in 10 years, like, I think that we could have 50 million subscribers. Sure. You know, I think that, like, if you just put a sort of a flag out there, like, you know, be like a mini Disney or, you know, with like a Pixar and Lucas and like, you know, be a, one of the best content producing company and distribution companies in the world. But not lose, not lose what we, what well, makes we us, what we start out and, and what makes us special. And that, that is about creative voice and tone and culture and most importantly, community. Yeah. Evan, what about you? I think you hit on really the way that I think about it, which is kind of related to a lot of the questions around, well, if you're taking everything off of YouTube, then how are you going to find a big audience? And the answer is simply, we're going to grow our own distribution channel. Uh, You know, we're in an environment today where, you know, I I think all of us can rattle off the people who generally will be the quote-unquote broadcast networks of the SVOD era, right? It's, uh, uh, many people refer to them now as FANG, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's fine. They're going to try to be everything to to every person, and there's going to be a layer of uh, companies and distribution outlets uh, under them, Rooster Teeth being one of them, that occupy the same space that cable networks occupy today. And, and who are those? Like WWE? or to, like, Right. To, you know. uh, at that point, yeah, it's WWE, it's Rooster Teeth. And probably some of the existing ones, like exactly. ESPN and exactly. so on Exactly, so yeah. yeah. Bu- building their own services that sit uh, really underneath these kind of uh, gigantic people who are all, we're going to spend a ton of money on content and try to have a little bit of yeah. something for everyone. We're never going to have something for everyone. That's not what we want to do. Right. Great answer. Thanks, boss. Yeah. That's a good, I think that's yeah. a good way to, to Yeah, that's, a, that's a great way to end. Our, then that's, our, um, that's the conclusion of our first episode of The Bungalow. We did it. Um, special thanks to everyone who made this possible. Special thanks uh, to our sponsor, the Rooster Teeth Store. That's right. Store.roosterteeth.com. And uh, thank you all for listening, and thank you all yeah. in the community for asking these great questions. Yeah, thank you guys so much, and um, we look forward to making these shows. Please give us feedback. This is going to be a work in progress. We're going to try our best to, you know, to, to listen to you guys and adapt as we do here. So thank you so much, and we look forward to future episodes. See you next time. See you.